0: You're listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research here at the University of Victoria. I'm Colleen, and I'll be your host today. All right, I am thrilled today to have as my special guest a return visitor, one of my first interviews, Sally Adnam-Jones, who is a colleague of mine in the PhD program, University of Victoria, in curriculum and instruction. And she is awesome, and when she... Was with us before she described what she was going to be doing, and she was about to embark on her research that was taking her to another continent, and now she's back. And so, welcome, Sally. Hi, Cody. I'm nice so excited. Oh, I know. I'm so excited about this. I just loved your first interview. I loved everything you had to say. So, now, if you could give us a little recap about what you're doing, where we kind of
1: left off, and we'll
0: zoom into what happened.
1: So my broad topic, Colleen, yes. is about how we transform through creativity. hmm And uh, that's such a broad topic, and I discussed that in the first interview, so I won't go into that again. If anybody's interested, they can find that on your website, that first interview. Yes, which was
0: brilliant, and you totally should listen to it again. It was fabulous.
1: (laughs) So what I had to do as a Ph.D. student was narrow that down to a specific topic. Yes, which is tough. It is very tough because it's a huge subject. And that's why we're here for three or four years before we start writing. Right. That three or four years is helping us narrow down our topic and not only find an area we're passionate about, but extend that into something that's entirely new of our own to bring something new to the topic. Yes. That's the challenge, is to understand what's already out there and then take that forward into a new area.
0: Yes. So now... How did you narrow your topic? What did you, what did you narrow it to? Because you're right, it's an extremely broad topic.
1: What I s- decided to look at specifically was how we transform as human beings. And there's so many ways we do transform that I chose to look at just one specific way, and that is by gaining a voice about mm. a topic that we have previously been unable to articulate. Brilliant. So once we find words around something that is unconscious or that we can't find the words for, we become empowered. And that's where the arts come in. The arts are specifically able to help us articulate things that previously we could not speak about. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we can articulate those topics, we can then have a different relationship with that topic and we can put it into perspective, we can understand it And we can objectify what was previously a subjective experience. And that in itself empowers us.
0: Oh, that is brilliant. I love this topic because I work in, well, I kind of cross over into different Mm -hmm. arts, but the theater arts, the performing arts, so much of it deals with finding your voice, Mm -hmm. voicing that voice, Mm -hmm. yet the voice
1: might not necessarily involve Words. Exactly. So this is what really interests me is can we find a voice when we don't have the words for yes. what we want to express? And that is specifically what I went to look at in my research site.
0: Okay. So can you explain where your research site was and what that meant to you just in going to
1: the site? I'm from South Africa, Colleen. Mm-hmm. So I left there just towards, well, in 1989, while apartheid was still in its Mm -hmm. heyday. And um, having lived through the apartheid era as an artist, I was really aware of how silence is used politically. And as a woman, I'm aware of how we are silenced around certain topics. And as a South African, we were silenced around certain topics. So I was particularly interested in how South African women are developing voices around issues where there was once silence.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: if there are no words, how do they do that? Is there another way we can develop a voice? And my specific passion is the art voice. Yes. There are ways we can express ourselves through images around topics that we perhaps can't find the words for. Right. And that in itself is empowering and transformational. Mm, so I found a site in South Africa where women have found an art voice around a topic that has been completely silenced, and that is around their HIV status, mm. which is a, a topic that is very much taboo in South Africa where people don't speak about it and in fact would rather die from having hiv than admit to having it or oh, even speak about it at all
0: that's just so intense
1: the government uh, itself had an official policy of aids denialism as well so that feeds into mm. the the uh, difficulty people have around speaking about oh, it of
0: course it just makes it it's such a, it's so heavy and deep mm-hmm. and intense that it so surpasses words at that point. So words fail. Yeah. They, they're just, they're not, they're not even useful. You no. can't even grasp it. It's just, it's into another realm. Yes. Oh.
1: So the pain of those communities almost makes it impossible for them to express what they've been through. And so words are totally inadequate to describe what is has been at the peak of the pandemic in 2004 and 5, almost a war zone when uh, 6 million people have died from HIV and Mm. uh, everybody knows somebody or belongs to somebody that has died. Right. Children are orphaned. The whole middle generation in some areas have almost disappeared. Grandmothers are raising orphans. It's unimaginable and unutterable. So how do people start talking about their experience when there are no words to describe what is happening? This particular community that I visited have found a way, and they make images about their experience. Mm. Before they can find the words, they know how to represent it visually. And once you've represented your experience visually, the words seem to come. Yes. And that in itself is a, is a very liberating and empowering experience to represent the feelings you've been through visually and then open up a dialogue around something that that is absolutely silenced. This tiny little village... Uh, which is on the Indian Ocean on the east coast of South Africa. is called Hamburg. It's about 3,000 people. Okay. Gaza people, X-H-O-S-A is the name of the local people who live there. Very challenged economically. Literacy is high. Hardly any jobs. Traditionally, a very rural cattle-centered community where the economy is based on cattle. Okay, this little community has done amazing things with their art. they They started making art about a topic that was denied them and that they denied themselves because of the stigma. And once they had had that courage to represent their experience with HIV, they started reaching out to other communities and took their work on tour to other villages. So the dialogues in the whole area were opened up and I received stories from people about how there was much weeping and conversations were beginning where there had before been silence, And Mm. um, communities started healing. And after that, their work reached out not only locally to other villages but across South Africa and then internationally as well. This tiny little community of female artists have now had their work shown in other communities like Toronto, Chicago, San Francisco, and London. The art
0: was developed there. It wasn't a traveling artist came through and showed them how to do it. It came from this, from this community.
1: Well, this is really a story of... A wonderful human being called Carol Baker Hoffmeyer, a doctor from Johannesburg, who moved to this tiny little village. Carol is an extraordinary woman. She's also got an MFA in art. Mm-hmm. So her outlook on healing is that you you heal a physical body with medicines, but you heal people's lives through giving them meaning yes. through their art. So yes. she brought both capacities to this community, the art and the antiretrovirals, which was still unavailable at the time. And so you heard about it. I did.
0: Was this before you started your Ph.D. studies, or was this in the middle, which is what helped give you the focus?
1: When I realized that transformation was such a huge topic and, decided to narrow it down, I came across the story, and I knew immediately that I had Mm. to go to this village and live there for a while, which I did for three months, and get to know them and the courage they've had to voice their story in a context where you can't talk about something. To me, that is almost the ultimate courage. Oh, extremely. That's,
0: yeah because so brave so
1: vulnerable so
0: vulnerable It takes such bravery to do that in an effort to heal Mm
1: -hmm.
0: not just yourself but to allow the healing to begin for others for the whole world essentially if you start to allow that that whole process i mean it's more than just helping one person and then another person and it's more than just additive right it's it's, it's exponential. It radiates
1: out from that center of yes. courage. One human has the courage to be seen and heard in their full authenticity, and that resonates yes. and, and carries out beyond the community until it's an, an international voice.
0: Yes. So what did you do then when you've now realized it? You've said, this is it. I must do this. What do you go through at that point? to be able to do it for research?
1: Well, that is terribly difficult. You have to propose a project, and the ethics review has to be done, and your committee has to agree, and there are all sorts of concerns about white people going into black areas to do research. Um, So one has to be... Very motivated to do it because you have a whole process to go through to prove that you're not a colonizer of some sort. Yes. And that your motive is to not, in the process of speaking somebody else's story, take away the voice that has just developed. right,
0: And perhaps unintentionally end up exploiting exactly. as opposed to. Right.
1: So as a researcher from a white university stepping into an indigenous community of perhaps illiterate people with very disempowered backgrounds one has to tread extremely carefully to not disempower them further by speaking for them taking their voice away right on the other way to look at that is that a researcher can then offer further opportunity for those communities to articulate their experience right because then you can bring their story back and you can help that ripple effect of the of the voice resonate further
0: so as a phd student and candidate you are well supervised by experienced researchers by people on an ethics review board yes not an attempt to make your research more difficult but Quite the opposite. To make your research more ethical, more ethical, better, and thus fulfill your true passion to truly help and not inadvertently harm, because you were doing it all by yourself and didn't know.
1: So the the rigorous steps they put you through really helps you develop awareness about discourses and power and how one can inadvertently colonize through inequities but yes coming from a white university with power to a small community that may never even have left that field that they worked in you know, right it's it's a very vulnerable community and one has to be very aware of that
0: so it's more than just a willingness to help it involves stepping outside of yourself to see where your limits might be just because you hadn't been exposed to that situation. All of these processes, although they take a little longer for you to to get to your research when done well, will definitely make your research even more credible. And and I think
1: a good way to enter into work like that for anybody who's interested is to be thoroughly grounded in feminist literature, Mm -hmm. which is remarkably articulate about... Inequities of power.
0: Yes. Brilliant.
1: Not just for women, but for people of different gender, people of different race.
0: Somebody you might view as marginalized in some way. Any
1: population of diversity or vulnerability. Right. Yeah. Okay. So
0: you obviously got approved. I did. The ethics board approved. And so you then do what at this point?
1: Well, then I start communicating with that community because you are not allowed to do that before your ethics review is passed. Right. So then you can approach the community, which is difficult when there's no email or internet connection. So what did you do? Uh, There were one or two people who I knew were contactable and I developed a relationship with them and asked them how they would feel if I came and particularly with Carol, who had started bringing art teachers into the community to develop the art skills. And uh, she was very excited about people coming to look at her community and how it had transformed itself through their art. Excellent. So I was invited to come, and so I arrived with a suitcase in a foreign country and set up shop for three months with my audio equipment and my camera and my curiosity.
0: Now, you are an artist. Did you actually conduct any sessions in art and the teaching of art, or were you strictly observational?
1: I chose to be strictly observational because I didn't want to interfere with their process at all. At all. At all. That was something I felt strongly about, is that I wasn't going there to change anything. I was going there to understand and celebrate what was already working.
0: All right, so now you're there, and you're observing, and well, what happened?
1: Well, so many things happened, but I'll be brief. The, the things that stand out for me is the relationships I've developed with some of the most amazing women I have ever met in my life. Mm. The strongest survivors with the warmest, biggest hearts that I have ever met. They embraced my... My little white ass, so to speak, <laughs> <laughs> took me in and shared whatever they had. And I literally mean with whatever they had to the last bread crust with me and their knowledge and their expertise and their community. And that meant everything to me. And I have an ongoing relationship that's happened and I will be going back next month to have a follow-up session a year later. It will have been a year later.
0: Now, are you going to include that as a, as a new research study, or is this just on your own?
1: It's just an ongoing follow-up for my dissertation. Oh, yet.
0: so it's part of the current, yeah. so you're not completely finished yet. No. Okay, so we're getting there. All right. I was just jumping ahead, sorry, because I've already got goosebumps from just when you started this story.
1: What What I would really like to tell you about is how the most synchronistic thing happened to me, and my learning happened through... Myself getting very sick while I was there, mm. so I was observing a community that was sick, yes, and how they dealt with that. And then I myself got sick, and <gasps> I was also experiencing, in a in a lesser way than them, what it meant to be in a place a day's walk from a clinic with no doctor and no help, and that that was very. Uh, humble making and helped me as a researcher to see life through their own eyes, how that might feel, mm. um, to be feeling absolutely so sick you can't go and get help. You just have to lie there. And there is no help until right. until somebody comes to help you and how reliant you are on other human beings.
0: And that you experienced that for what, a few weeks, a few yes. days?
1: I had to walk everywhere to reach the people I was sharing knowledge with. And they had a little studio, but wherever we went to community hall or to their homes, I had to walk through the fields. And because it's a cattle-based economy, I noticed that I had bites on my legs, what I thought were bites, and I thought that, oh, I've got tick bite fever. Because that's quite common there. And then I got incredibly ill, and I just... Went to bed for three days. I thought, this will go away. It's tick bite fever. You have to get it when you come to Africa. But it didn't go away, and I got sicker and sicker. And eventually, to cut a long story short, I was diagnosed with chicken pox, which as an adult is quite severe. It is. So one of the little AIDS orphan kids, they just love to be hugged and touched. They sit on your lap. And I knew as I picked up this little kid I'm going to get sick. I just knew it because this little child was sick but wanted to be picked up. And so it was almost like I wasn't standing aloof as an observing researcher. I was had no boundaries from them at all in the end because, you know, I had shared the same viruses. Yes. I had shared their food. I had shared their music and their dance and their prayer and their celebrations and their sadnesses and i myself was transformed by my own research which was a wonderful wonderful insight
0: that's amazing and that's that to me is huge and what a beautiful it's it's bo- to say it's a bonus doesn't even begin to mm-hmm. it, it's almost like it it is the purpose of the research
1: and when i was researching transformation to actually experience transformation myself i just thought That is what research is about. That is what it is. To allow the research to change you.
0: Yes. It's more than just being this cool, distant, observing through glass and making a few notes. This is, oh, that is huge. So now you've been sick and you're having this profound experience that you weren't expecting. How did that affect your ability to observe the art? Did it change your focus of your research
1: when i look at the art now there's specific vignettes within their work that i i really identify with is a particular piece a detail from one of their huge tapestries that's about 13 by 22 feet that 130 women worked on together communally. There's a small little vignette in there of somebody lying on their bed covered in sores. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's one little piece that I really relate to because yes. that was me. <laughs> yes, sitting there. But, um, you know, I can't claim to really have shared their experience because it wasn't HIV. And right. And everybody around me was way sicker than I was or uh, living with HIV in a tenuous way with with the ARVs which are now available but which hadn't been up till 2004. And
0: what is that again? So the
1: antiretroviral medication which keeps it at bay but which doesn't cure. Right. Which helps you to live a productive life but there is no cure. Right. So up until that medicine became available people would walk for days to get to Carol Baker Hoffmeyer's clinic that she was operating as a one doctor show for about a decade the gardens around the small converted building were apparently through the stories that I was told by the the, uh, HIV educators, the local women there, were um, strewn with beds, they couldn't keep up with with the need to deal with the sick and people would arrive after days of walking through the hills and die there.
0: Mm. It was,
1: they would just get there not knowing what they had or why they were sick and if they did perhaps know, denying it, um, just to die there and it was a very difficult time. And then Carol decided to bring ARVs into the area with her own financing or with grants before they were locally available so she became a figure of almost angelic stature because for the first time people had hope and the ARVs were helping and uh, Carol has just received um, an honorary doctorate from a university in the country for her incredible work with medicine, art and by developing an economy where there wasn't one before mm, for women. That's who can now access condoms, too, and uh, become empowered in their homes by insisting that they're used and therefore protect themselves.
0: Mm, so that by is amazing. being
1: able to sell their art, too, they've transformed their community because it means that women can now earn and therefore have more power in their homes.
0: And can I ask about the tapestry itself? What are they weaving? What What is the actual material?
1: They are sewing communally huge tapestries of hessian, uh, which is a sort of a broadly woven sacking, and using brightly colored threads, and using a variety of stitches and beadwork, applied fabrics cut into shapes like an applique, to represent their history, their story, their Environment. They do a lot of botanicals and medicinal plants, and celebrate the uh, the wonderful ecology of the Antilles and the aloes and the fish in the estuary and the thundering waves against the huge sand dunes. Um, so there's a lot of beauty with the with the local plants, the flora and fauna, mm. and against that backdrop is the incredible story of their pain and their survival of this pandemic 40 percent of people in some areas uh, are, are that's
0: just, yeah that's not I yeah, can't imagine that yeah. personally I can't even pretend yeah. to say I would know what that is I'm very grateful for not you know not having that own personal experience but I have such compassion you know for people that do but I would never pretend to even be to remotely know what that was like it just it's overwhelming to me it's very overwhelming
1: and i think that struggle to articulate as you are doing now yes is the basis of that lack of words when something so terrible happens there are no words right how do you represent that how do you witness that story how do you share that experience and they found this way through images this brings me to the idea of how they actually decide upon a design
0: How do you design something that you don't have the words to describe? How did that work? In this
1: particular community, the genius of Carol was to, first of all, show this community images from Europe that shared a similar anguish. So she picked out images like Picasso's Guernica, which was during the Spanish Civil War, the bombings of there's a lot of people dying. Mm. There's a particular image called Guernica. She shared that with them. She shared the, the Isenheim altarpiece of Christ on the cross being crucified and his body is covered with sores. She shared images from the art his- Western art history canon that they identified with and they then developed that theme into work of their own. Mm. So she was educating them about existing images and existing ways of of sewing.
0: And expressing.
1: And expressing. Right. And then they developed that idea into their own indigenous imagery. Do they do that as a group, or
0: are, do individuals make a tapestry and then... Are some woven together?
1: These are massive pieces. One of their tapestries is about 350 feet long. Would you say it's similar to the quilting bee? Each one will do a section. So they're called piece embroiderers. They develop a piece, and then they get sewn together into huge, iconic pieces that you have to stand way back to to be able to take in. But they're now working on smaller pieces like cushion covers and more individual pieces. Okay. Now that they've developed a a way of working together. These uh, initially were group community art, group pieces. Um, And Carol would suggest things. And then she had several of the younger artists and one particular mature artist who turned out to be very creative. She developed six or seven people, by sending them to art school, bringing art teachers in. Mm. And they've kind of designed the works now. And then, of course, there's about 130 women who execute the pieces through their sewing. That so is it's, brilliant. it's a community, organic way of working.
0: And so there's, there's actually several levels at which you can participate. Yes. Which is brilliant because so that covers... Have,
1: you don't have to be an artist. You just have to be able to be keen to sew and partake
0: Mm. But it's still, but all of whatever part you're in, your your spirit is part mm.
1: And your story's of being that. told. And you're sowing your taboo identity into existence mm. to be seen and heard. Are you allowed to share where maybe our listeners, if somebody wants to support yes. this particular and maybe perhaps buy yes. one of these pieces? Absolutely. They take commission work. So if they were interested, they could go to www.com kaiskarma.org that's spelt k e i s k a m m a that's the name of the river okay that they they the estuary they live on
0: oh brilliant
1: so kaiskarma.org dot, dot or kaiskarma trust which is the name of the trust carol has said okay up. they take donations they take commissions they take uh, recycled fabrics they'll take anything oh brilliant
0: all I can say is, I, I'm sure there are other people listening who are in agreement with me, is I cannot wait until I have the ability to get a hold of your dissertation. It's again, such a privilege to have you here. I cannot wait to see what you do next. Mm-hmm. I, I just am really thrilled. This is mm-hmm. really, I don't yes. even really know what to say. I'm, I'm inarticulate at this point, mm-hmm. which is following a theme, mm-hmm. I guess. So. Cool. Again, thank you for listening to Beyond the Jargon on CFUV.